Welcome to the Raised to Stay podcast. I'm Natalie Runyon, your host, and I'm so glad you are joining us. I pray that every episode introduces you to a Jesus you've always wanted to know and reminds you that out of all the reasons we have to quit, we have one reason to stay, Jesus. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Raise to Stay podcast. I am with my friend and sister and fellow pastor, Nikki Williams, coming all the way from Canada. We are we are with the Canadian today. <laughs> with our fur coats, I think that you said. <laughs> Need toques and fur coats here, right? It's real. I'm coming to Canada next week, and I'm preparing myself for all of things under below zero. So... <laughs> Because we live in igloos and we drive dog sleds. Get ready. That's what I've heard. So I'm, I want to debunk that myth. <laughs> All right. Guys, come debunk. This is our second podcast in our new series, Raised to Stay Through dot, dot, dot. And last week we addressed Raised to Stay Through Transition with Pastors John and Jocelyn. And this week I am talking with Nikki specifically in Staying Through Betrayal. And if you've been in ministry any minute, a hot minute, then you have probably been hurt or betrayed by someone you thought you could trust, someone that you have done life with, you've been in the trenches with. And the question is, how do we stay when we have been betrayed by the very people who are supposed to protect us? And the church is in that category of institutions that should be protecting people, not hurting people. Yet church hurt and deconstruction and church abuse is still a very prevalent thing, if not the larger conversation that we're having right now on social media. So I want to talk through not the betrayal part, but how do we stay through betrayal? How do we take the things that the enemy has meant for our harm and we allow God to turn it for our good? And so I've invited Nikki here, who pastors a church up in Canada, to have this very hard conversation today. And so Nikki, welcome. Just tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. Well, before my pastor, I am a mom. It is my favorite title. I have four kids and my youngest is 16, my oldest. I might get this wrong. I guess it's showing my age. 24, we're all musicians in our home. Grew up in a house that loved the church, loved ministry, loved camp ministry, have been passionate about teaching people about Jesus from the age of eight. I can remember being a little girl, um, wanting the whole world to know about God's love and who he is. I get to pastor a church in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada called Bloom Church. It is some of the greatest, most powerfully loving people that I've ever done church with in my life. They are the real deal. Regina doesn't have a lot to offer per se, but I would say that Bloom Church has a lot to offer because of the people that are there. So yeah, I have a little Yorkie. I locked her in a room so we don't have to hear her barking right now. She keeps all things sassy and crazy in this house. And um, I'm just blessed to be here. I met Natalie years and years ago at a conference. And uh, I remember hearing you sing a song, Natalie. And I literally spoke for three minutes. And the Lord said to me, go meet her. And so I remember walking up to you. And I don't quite remember what I said, but I remember what my spirit felt. And I remember saying, I don't know who you are but the anointing of the Lord is on you. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop. And you and I have just kind of stayed in touch. I think maybe it's been about seven years since I met you. I think I was trying to figure that out, but quite a few years ago. And uh, it has just been a delight to see how God is using your voice across the world to proclaim his goodness, even when there's 
betrayal, things like betrayal. Um, humans, we hurt each other, hurt people, hurt people. And we are all around, even in the church. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. I love that segue because it was in that season of my life. Raised to stay did not exist. I was living in Cincinnati still. I was still trying to figure out what my role was in the kingdom. I mean, I think maybe I still am sometimes. And yeah. it, it just took you coming up to me and speaking life over me in that moment, that quick moment that wove us together as sisters, but also kind of put made me put my heels in a little bit deeper and say, no, I am. I'm not going to quit. Like I am going to stay and, yeah. and try to see what God wants to do. And, and you know, those moments, as quick as they can be, they redeem the moments of betrayal where maybe we have had death spoken over us and all it takes is this little yeah. word of life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to encourage you guys, you know, as the body of Christ, when you feel the Lord say, encourage say someone, say it. Yes. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk a little bit about what it looks like to be betrayed in the church. And we, mm-hmm. I said it in the intro that it's really easy for us to point you know, our finger at one situation and say, it must all be like this. That's why I think we're seeing such a heavy um, deconstruction movement, why we're seeing people fleeing the church in such large amounts is because we get betrayed, we get hurt, and then we kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater. And we say, well, it must all be like this. Let's talk a little bit about why we are react so quickly to being hurt in the church when we get betrayed by the world all the time? Like what, what is the uh, distinguishing factor in that? Why are we so short with the church when we're willing to give so much leeway with the world? When I myself have had to walk through betrayal, I've had to ask God that myself. And it's not because I don't know him, but I think my definition of love isn't always God's definition of love. And so when sin presents in a church or miscommunication or differences in opinions or different ways of translating God's word, because there is sometimes we can see it, absorb it. We're in different parts of our journey. We hear it differently. When all of that presents, since we have Jesus in our hearts, we believe that we're going to be the perfect example of love. And it's our definition of love. It's not God's definition of love. And so if I could like speak specifically to when sin presents, sin makes people stupid. But one of my mentors says that she goes, you know, she's from Oklahoma. She says a withdrawal. So it makes it even better. But she says sin makes people stupid. But we're actually afraid to call sin, sin. We believe that God is love. And God doesn't, he would never say, well, I don't love you. You're right. He would never say that he loves all of us. But there's consequences to sin. There is Uh, free will that we're dealing with. There is, he is more concerned about who we're becoming on this journey than the destination itself. And so all of those things are playing into it. And we come into the body of Christ where he asks us to come because it keeps us humble. Um, We learn to think differently, different opinions do present, and we need to get into the word of God to know what truth is, but it gets messy in a hot hurry. And somehow we have this preconceived idea that when we walk into the doors of the church, all the angels are singing hallelujah and everything's going to be perfect. When the reality is Christianity is flat out warfare. It's a flat out war zone. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities of darkness. But the minute darkness presents, we start, we start chucking stones at each other. And we're like, this isn't love. This isn't love. And we begin to judge. I was studying the word this morning and it said, judge not lest you be judged. And I thought, 
well, I've got some work to do there, you know, because very quickly our idea of love, it's tested. Love God, love people. Isn't that what we're called to do? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. The reality is, is a lot of us don't even know how to love ourselves properly. And then we get chucked into a church and we're trying to love each other and it just gets smashed. And so I think, you know, to go back to your question, why is it harder in a church when things present our, our understanding of what love looks like? We think, well, Jesus is in you. So you're going to love me, right? You're a Christian. You're a Christian. And yet, yet we are really all broken. We're never going to be completely like Jesus till we get to heaven. We are works in progress. But I think the greatest testimony is, is to stand up when you are broken and to show the church that I'm not going to stop. Um, there might be tears rolling down your cheeks and, you know, things could be just exploding and shrapnel hitting everybody around you, which is my story. But when you're standing there and you say, but I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep, to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day, then you show up. And you show up and you show up and you yourself are confused because you don't understand why the dream of your life just blew up. Um, And then how could that not affect the people around you because they love you? But I think it gets too much sometimes and we don't know what to do with it too much. And so instead of dealing with our own, what's going on inside of me? Why is this affecting me? Why am I angry? Why am I sad? Why am, why? We don't go to the word and we don't go to God in prayer. We, and it's way easier to pick up a stone and just start chucking. You know, I think it just can all just get boom so much quicker where there is this spiritual battle going on. But we need to keep going back to say we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers of the darkness. And yet we also know that Jesus has more authority than they do. We can't give them so much authority that, that they have the right to wreak havoc. Wow. I, you know, if you're listening to this, you probably now understand how Nikki pastors a church like she does with such compassion and passion and, and love. And I remember my dad saying that if it weren't for people, ministry would be awesome. (laughs) Yeah. And, And in the same breath, whenever things would get really hard in ministry for me, he would say, Natalie, if you can keep Christ's command, your first concern, you're going to be okay. Now we know his. We know his last commission was the great commission to go and make disciples, but his last command is to love God and love people. And you said something in there that I think is really important for us is that we can't love people the way that God loves them if we don't understand God's love for us. And if Mm -hmm. we don't love ourselves as God loves us, then it's going to be really hard for us to show that same love towards people who are just normal people, much less those who have betrayed us and those who are actively hurting us. And it seems like they're getting away with it. And like you said, it really comes down to knowing who the enemy is. And the enemy is not us. We're not each other's enemy. The enemy is the enemy. Talk to me about some strategies that you have used when you have felt betrayed by somebody that you love. What is your like first go-to? What's your (laughs) worship? Yes. Uh, Worship's been my greatest weapon. When I had no words, when I had no breath, when nothing made sense to just say, I worship you, Lord, I worship you, Lord, I worship you, Lord, I worship you, Lord, I worship you, Lord. It was like a broken record. I got nothing. I got nothing, but I will worship you. I will worship you. I will worship you. 
I believe it. You said it. It is so. I believe it. You said it. It is so. I believe in, in the fallible written word of God. And I believe you are faithful. And I believe you are just. And I believe that you are a God who is will take care of injustice. I think the tricky part um, presents when sheep come dressed up in wolf's clothing. And when some of the sheep used to be sheep and suddenly their own brokenness presents and they become wolves and that becomes really, really difficult. And so the discernment that you get through prayer, and when I say worship, often for me, it's music. God calls me into a position of receiving his love and compassion so I can be compassionate for other people. If I can't myself receive it from him, I'm not very good to be empathetic and compassionate to other people. I would say as a person who really loves, worship has kept me soft when I have felt very angry. Worship keeps me soft when I feel like picking up stones and chucking them myself. And then prayer, the prayers of the righteous availeth much and really seeking after what righteousness looks like. You know, I am broken. And when brokenness presents and you yourself don't know who you are any longer, how could that not affect people around you? You know, and so if we all just get really, really down and honest and assess our own brokenness, and then you look at the people that are close to you in church ministry, because you get close quickly because you are in the trenches serving Jesus. You know, I've worked in corporations before and worked in church ministry at the same time. I could go to work at a place that wasn't the church and still be a lover of Jesus and work and love people there, but they weren't connected with me spiritually on the, on the same level as people in the church. As soon as I walk into the church, people are coming there looking for a shepherd. They're coming there looking for a healer or they're coming there looking to take you out. Whatever that is, if it's a sheep dressed in wolf clothing or a wolf just coming in to tear down the church, it's a completely different reason for showing up typically. Or they're coming to serve together and help people. When you go to a corporation and a work, it isn't the same reason. So you can, you can go in and you can go out. None of that really has to overlap. It can, but it doesn't often. Um, when you come into the church, it is just like all, it is just all there. And so I have learned that I have absolutely no business to go show up and lead other people or even to just show up if I haven't been worshiping or in, in, in prayer. And you know, for me, worship, can be being outside. It could be hiking. It can be learning to take my Sabbath. You know, when you work in a church, you have to take a different Sabbath. I have to be very, very, very careful with my boundaries and remember that Jesus is Jesus and I'm just a person. If I could be this, this candid, if somebody dies today, they're still dead tomorrow. <laughs> Jesus knew about it before I could get there as a pastor. It doesn't mean I don't care. That's not what I'm saying. If I could be there as soon as it would happen, my heart would be that I could be there. However, I am a human and I have limitations. And so I have to be in a position where I'm being fed, where I'm in God's word, where I'm not just studying God's word to teach the church, where I'm letting God meet me personally. So then I can be a translator of, of what he's doing in me and sharing it. So worship and prayer. And then I would say, um, I have a lot of people in my business very specific people. I remember going through some counseling years back and my counselor said to me, build your three. Not a lot of people can handle what you're going through right now. And maybe we'll get to that in just a minute, but you have to be really, really, really careful with who your three are. And you've got to be really, really transparent with what you're struggling with to let them in and call you back. 
So I have a pretty big army around me that knows me inside and out that probably knows way too much about my life. They have free reign. They have free reign on my email. They have free reign on my phone. They walk into my house. They know my codes to my house. They can come and see and they can call me out and it's safe. It's good. But not anybody can do that and not anybody can handle it. And you shouldn't let anybody, just anybody do it. So prayer, worship. And then I just am surrounded by a really great crowd of people that have walked through hills and valleys with me. They're the real deal. It's funny. I was convicted of what you're saying in that I think it's easy for us to pass judgment on even the people who have hurt us. And we haven't been praying and fasting for the people that we're kind of pointing our finger at and getting angry at. And I think prayer and fasting is what softens our Mm -hmm. hearts towards one another. And my mentors will say to me all the time, as I'm lamenting on their floor, are you praying for them? Are you fasting over the situation? Are you worshiping? Are you inviting other voices in? Because the enemy wants us to be in an echo chamber where all we can hear is our own voices and our own Mm -hmm. experiences. And if Mm -hmm. we're not in the presence of God, then we can't have a supernatural encounter with the living God to really bring us to kingdom mindset and not earthly mindset. Right. You know? Um, The second thing is I remember when my parents were so badly betrayed my senior year of high school and I was supposed to go to a Christian college and very last minute was like, if that's what the church is, I want nothing to do with that. And I changed my entire collegiate trajectory because of what I watched happen to my family. And I remember becoming a teacher I went to college for five years, ended up in a public school. And I can remember watching people, like you say, act like fools, right? People are being people. And there was no intermingling. They didn't know Jesus. They didn't have any kingdom, you know, concept. So it was like, of course, like that's how the world behaves. And I could go home, no skin off my back. Like, hey, you know what? They don't know any better. What is your response when people say the church should know better? Hmm, that's a good question. My response would probably be say, there's humans there. (laughs) They're human. And then I think I would say, I am the church. You are the church. So do you always know? I think I would have to turn that back and say, so how do you think that, that that looks like, what do you think that looks? That's a discussion. The church should know better. Okay. Well, if I am the church and you are the church, I don't know everything. And if I do know, knowledge isn't always having the ability to walk it out because it, we haven't all walked it yet. That's good. And I that's why I'm asking because I think we always have to go back and look at ourselves. There's yeah. always a, when I look in the mirror, it's my reflection and my reflection alone. Right. And the enemy wants us so fixated on other people that mm-hmm. we don't see the our own log in our eye. We're constantly going after that speck, but... When betrayal, yeah. when betrayal sets in and we let it take root, that is where I have noticed that the church offense has really started to sift into people where maybe it's not church abuse, maybe it's mm. not church hurt, but it's church offense yeah. because now that betrayal, be it guys, betrayal can be anything that is against what our value is, what our belief is. Betrayal That's can good. be. Betrayal can be very small and it can be life altering. And we're not here to dictate what betrayal is or is not. However, we do have a responsibility as children of God to respond to one another as Jesus would respond to us. Now, 
he knew Judas was going to betray him, right? Like Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him. He knew that that was going to be the ultimate um, moment where this person who was supposed to love him and be with him was going to betray him. And we don't have that kind of access to everyone. We don't know who's going to step in and betray us. And so we have a choice to trust people or to not trust people. And a good mentor of mine will always say that he would rather get to heaven and hear that he trusted and loved people too much than that he didn't trust or love enough. And that's that's huge. Yeah, I think that I've been judged in that spot too. I don't think I've actually been told that, you know, you're naive. And I choose naivety sometimes. I think it's like my life group will say to me, innocent little Nikki. I used to take that always as a compliment. I think eventually then it became better in me. And I'm like, don't call me that anymore. Like I'm not ignorant. And I love what he said, because I agree, it's better to just be naive and to shrug off insults. Proverbs in Proverbs 12, it actually tells us to like shrug off insults, to just turn, to try to turn the other cheek. You know, I think the hot topic right now in life, or one of them is, is boundaries, 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 boundaries. And some of this can collide healthy boundaries, shrugging off insults. I think the tricky part with betrayal is the fruits of the spirit display in people that are walking with God, even when there's brokenness. It can be messy and it can be confusing when you watch somebody go through betrayal. So a little piece of my story, I think this is appropriate to share right now is about five years ago, um, I co-pastored with my spouse, my husband, and you know that is no longer what is my life? I am now divorced. I have had to walk that through publicly. I have stayed in ministry. And what begin, what, what is really difficult is when people that are walking with you don't recognize who you are anymore by how they've written your own story. It can get really, really confusing when you yourself are laying on the floor trying to keep it all together. But you're willing to show up and show up and show up because I remember in the early days when I didn't know if my marriage was going to make it or not. Um, I just remember saying to my, my mentors, I'm going to church every Sunday because what I taught doesn't change now. I still believe in the, in, in the Bible. I still believe in what I taught and I'm not going to stop now. But what I realized is people do not know what to do with your brokenness. And so my post was in the lobby at the life group wall. At that time, I was a co-pastor, but my title would have been a pastor's wife. And you kind of get, you kind of got six for one, you know, my husband, myself, and all four of my children, when you plant a church, it's a six for one deal. And so even though my title wasn't co-pastor, that is what I did when you plant a church. And I just remember saying, I'm showing up, I'm going to church and I'm going to show my kids. We don't walk away when life gets hard. We go to the body of Christ. We don't run from the body of Christ. And in that, I saw what pain actually presents to people. People don't know what to do with your pain because they don't know what to do with their own pain. And so I would stand by that life group wall at the end of the service for people to come. And all these people that had known me for a lot of years, not very many were brave enough to even say to me, are you okay? Or I see you today. Um, great people, amazing people. Don't, I'm, not, I'm not throwing stones here. They're incredible, incredible people that I've served with and done life with. However, when people see pain in your eyes, they don't know what to do with their own pain. It just puts a headlight. So like what your mentor said, or what you just said about looking in the mirror, it's that reflection. And suddenly you're walking through 
betrayal in your own personal life. And then when you're married to the pastor who has um, stepped outside of the marriage and it presents on all new levels, the confusion, the confusion that presents is just very, very, very great. And so, you know, we have to learn to shrug off the insults. We have to learn to shrug off the judgment. People write their own story. They write their own narrative of, of who you are and what you're going through. I loved, we were sitting all throughout that, that time I showed up at church. I was faithful. I didn't stop going. Um, I didn't stop leading my life group and my life group didn't even know what was going on. I, that wasn't my position to tell them. My position was to lead. So I'd cry and cry and cry and get up in the morning and put my makeup on and have all these people in my home, send them out and cry and cry and cry some more. But I believe that God is who he says he is. I believe that he's faithful. And I, I didn't think I was worthy to lead. Hear me when I say that. But I believe that God is faithful to use people. He, he qualifies the called. He, he, he does the qualifying. And so when you know you have a call on your life and you're called into ministry and things just erupt, things that you have no control over and the things that you have to walk through. God says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no good. He says, we're walking through it. We're not going to put our camp in the bottom of the thing and stay there. But the walking sometimes is long. And the longer it gets playing out in a church, some people just, it isn't either. It's not their position to continue walking with you or it's too difficult and they need to go deal with their own healing. And it's, the letting go of that is so difficult because when you're a shepherd and you have to release your sheep, that's like a death. And I was already dealing with my own death, my death of a marriage, my death of a title as a wife. Um, my kids lost, you know, a very, very, very vital part of growing up years, very, a lot of confusion. And so in that, I never stopped leading. And you know what? The cool thing is, is I, I serve with people that believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And they believe that Jesus uses broken people because a lot of them themselves have walked through hard stuff. Um, so you have to learn how to shrug off insults. You've got to know who qualifies you. You've got to know your calling and you've got to know it in your knower. I mean, you have got to know it. And the only way you know it in your knower is by going back to the word of God or being on speed dial with those people that reminds you, okay, you know, refine this. You're a little bit off track here. Settle down or they just let you scream and cry for a while and kick you in the butt and say, no, go. Let me help you get dressed. Let me take you shopping. Let me get you a sweater. You know, um, that's the church. I remember in the early days where you get up in the morning and you never stay in bed. Never once did I stay in bed. I was, I was not going to let the enemy take that out of me either. Um, but I remember thinking like, I can't get out of my house. I was up, I was functioning, I was doing the laundry, I was getting my kids ready for school and trying to be the best mom that I could, even though my world was erupting. But sometimes you just needed a friend to say, I'm coming to get you for a cup of coffee. But I also had to learn to say, I can only handle 40 minutes. Are you able to give to do that? Some people couldn't handle that because you were their shepherd. And suddenly you weren't able to lead at the capacity or in the same way and judgment falls there. And you know, when God calls you to be a teacher or a preacher, he tells us in the word that we are held to a different standard. And so that's what we sign up for. We do. We sign up for a lot of people in our business, but we also need to know the difference between vulnerability and transparency. And as I sat around that table one day, it was a few years in, and I want you guys to know now, this is about five years into my journey. I am not on this podcast with anger. God is 
restoring. He is redeeming. He is tilling up the soil of the graveyard that has been in front of me. I'm walking through it. I'm on the upswing. Is there still healing to do? Yes. Is there still pain? Yes. Is this ever what I would wish on my worst enemy? No. Am I believing for restoration and redemption and reconciliation? Would that be miraculous on all levels? However, God wants to. Yes. I will not stop believing, but it isn't. It isn't up to me. I don't get final say. And I remember one of the ladies looked at me and I was sharing something one day and she said to me, Nikki, stop. And I said, what? And she goes, Nikki, I think, I think I have like an aha moment for you. I'm like, well, what? And this is a friend that doesn't speak often at life group. She listens more than she speaks. She said, I think you need to know the difference between vulnerability and transparency. And I was like, what? She said, yeah. And that changed my life. So to live a transparent lifestyle is what I, an authentic, to be completely authentically Nikki, not perfect. I'm hot mess half the time, but don't we love hot messes? Isn't this the world that we cheer for the underdog? I, I mean, I thought it was, unless you're in the church, then sometimes we just chuck stones. I don't know. Is that too bold? Maybe. I mean, you're talking to, you're talking to black box girl here. So no, nothing's too bold. I, yeah. I'm, I'm stunned by that statement. Because you're right. The world loves a good underdog because they want to see them succeed. They want to see them win. They want to see them prove that you don't have to be the biggest and the best to succeed. Mm. But it's like the church, when we see somebody down, it's like we just want to kick them while they're down. Like we want to remind them why they're there. We we want to do that to almost deflect from our own shortcomings. Right. That's so, it right there. You know, betrayal in the church it feels dirty and nasty because it's so multi-layered. It's, it can hide other people's faults and sins. It can uh, create chaos, which we know God is not the author of confusion. So where is that chaos coming from? And something that you said that I think is just going to minister to so many people is how you didn't wake up every day and take that offense and that bitterness with you to your life group. You didn't share every detail of what you were feeling, but you gave it to the Lord. You you sat with the Lord, you worshiped, you prayed, you surrendered it. And then you went into that life group and you were able to separate the betrayal from the ministry that God had called you to because the enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And if, if he can do it in our hearts, if he can start letting that bitterness root in our hearts so that we become poison to everyone in our pathway, then he wins. But if we if we entered every situation of betrayal with, I'm going to love you like Jesus loves me. I'm going to trust that God is going to have the final word and he's going to fight on my behalf. And I am going to love so gently and listen so intently to the Holy Spirit that the enemy does not get a foothold in this. And the fact, Nikki, that you have been able to pastor an entire church while walking out a five-year season of feeling the ultimate betrayal shows me that it's possible through the power of the Holy Spirit to step into hard and holy places with such conviction, but also knowing you're not alone. You said it, you've had an army around you. Talk to me as we get ready to close up here. Talk to me about this army that has helped sustain you in the last five years. Like I said before, these people know brokenness and they're the best ones to have in my army. You know, when you ask God for an army, you better watch out because he'll send it, especially if you're looking and, 
you know, some people, God spoke to me in the middle of the night and put a name in my, in my spirit and told me to phone them when I didn't even know the people and they become part of my army, my counselor, not even from my same province in Canada. God spoke that name and dropped it in the middle of the night. I had to wake up and actually write it down because I didn't know where it came from. Other ones though, you know, counseling told me build a triad and it typically can't be your family. Family can't, there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Family typically can't handle the weight because they have their perception of who you are in their family. And that was some of the best counsel I was ever given to build it outside of your family. So family can stay family and friends can stay friends. Not a lot of people can handle the weight of being a friend of somebody in ministry. Not a lot of people can separate a friendship and a ministry. There are very, very few people that I have found that can be with you on your day off and not talk about your position at the church or whatever ministry. Very, very few. You learn very quickly who those people are. You know, right now I, I get to serve with just an incredible directional leadership team is what we call it at our church, just men, godly, godly men. They don't talk as much as me. They don't feel as much as me. They're solid level men, all with a different perspective and to listen and to learn and to look for fruits of the spirit and people. You know, I've lost people in my army too over this. It's incredibly painful. People that were right up close and personal in the, the early days of this journey, they, they're no longer in that army, but they were for a reason and a season. And it doesn't disqualify the goodness of what, what happened in that season. And so I would say you got to learn how to be in an army to have an army. You got to learn how to show up. I told my church this Sunday, there was a lady, she's not in my immediate army, but she became a part of my army. There, there became like lever, levels of an army for me. There was those ones that were right up close and personal and they still are. It's, they're all still the same three couples. They're all women, but their husbands are right beside. Like they're in it. They get, they get all the details. I've got three brothers in Christ that would kick someone's fanny for me just to keep me pretty much in position. They also call me back and tell me I'm crazy sometimes. So, Hey, there's that, but. To, to build that kind of that triad, that circular, like how waves go out. Anyways, this lady would show up at my house for years, every so often. And she would just say to me, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. You're going to be okay. She never really said a lot other than that. She often brought me food. You know, I needed an army that would pick up my kids and take them to have fun because this mama had cried an awful lot that day or we'd been through some really hard, hard appointments. And my kids needed to have fun. I needed those people in the army. I needed people that would step into leadership at the church and say, you know, I can't be here right now because I've got to go for counseling, but I believe in you. And I believe that you are equipped. And I believe that this is God's church. And I believe that he puts you in position. When I called my, called my counselor before I came on here, Natalie, I said, what would you say to that? the fact that I'm going to do this? I, I didn't even come here without getting counsel. He said, remind the people Remind her that the people were very gracious to you, Nikki, and that when your world erupted, so did theirs. And, you know, just be gracious. Don't highlight when things weren't good. And there were some seasons where things weren't good and flesh got in the way. And um, I think that that is just so brutal to watch when sin causes that much confusion and we get off track and we forget what we're battling against. But to build your army. To ask God for faithful stewards, the ones that that love. And you know what? These are the people that wherever God takes me and however he chooses to use me, my life is not my own. It is not my own. Do I believe it or don't I believe it? Everything that I've been given is not my own. 
So when push comes to shove and everything that you know erupts and is exploding, it's not mine. I was created with a purpose and that was to just love him and to give glory to God. So I would say God can build cool armies. Natalie is part of my army. Who would have ever known seven years ago or however long ago that was that he would smash us together for such a time as this? I really believe that as we tell the world hard stuff about ministry, we tell it so that God will be glorified and that we will remember that he is faithful, that he is a just God, that he, you know, David cries out in the Psalm over and over and over again, God, where are you? Where have you forsaken me? I mean, I have pretty much all of Psalms, I think, highlighted because I'm like, yes. But then, and then he goes to God and he says, take care of injustice. And then he goes to God and he just says, God, you do it. But he doesn't hold back. Man, he calls down, he calls down the army and he trusts God to take care of it. And I just, I just have to tell myself, CC Winan says, he said it, I believe it, it is so. She sings that in a song and I play that and I just crank it up and I'm like, I just got to remind myself, you know, and I can just hear her worshiping and one day in heaven, I hope I get to meet that woman and hear her, her sing in person. But um, man, I just got to, I got to pump truth into myself and I got to tell my kids, you know, my children will lack no good thing. My church will lack no good thing. My family will lack no good thing. And what is good? It is his definition of good, not mine. Well, if you're just now tuning into the Raise to Stay podcast and you were thinking that this was going to be one of those church bashing podcasts, you are <laughs> you are mistaken because what my friend and pastor just shared with you is the very heartbeat behind why Raise to Stay exists and why we have an opportunity to flip the script mm. on how people have viewed church and hurt and offense and betrayal that really there is hope and there is a God who is desperate to reconcile his people and restore his church. And I could not have said it any better, Nikki. And I am in awe of your obedience and your tenderness and your compassion and forgiveness and your ability to put into words what I feel like a lot of people are going to be listening and looking for language and you have given them kingdom language. And I want to say thank you. Before we close, would you please pray over those who might be listening who are in a season of betrayal or feel alone in their experiences? Would you just pray a prayer of freedom over them? And then I will close this out from there. Thank you, Father, for such a rich time together um, here on this platform that you have built that people will know that you see them, that you're with them. And Lord, I just pray today that whoever is hearing this would be able to embrace the journey that they're on. Father, that you would give them freedom from the chains of darkness that present. And God, that you would help them to not be disappointed in themselves. So often as leaders, we are so disappointed in our own selves. And Lord, I pray that you'll show them that you have not forgotten them, that there is a hope for their future. Jeremiah 29, 11, Lord, that you have good plans for their future, even when they can't see it right now. Lord, that you are with us, even if, even when, and even through, when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God, you are right beside us holding our hands. Lord, I pray that we will stay focused on you. And Lord, as we deal with our own hurts and our insecurities and our pains, Lord, that our hope will be in you our perfect healer, Lord, we can 
we can find knowledge, but Lord, it's really you who does all of the hard work in us. Lord, I pray that you will, you'll cultivate graves that uh, need cultivating, that you will keep things buried that needs to be buried, that we will look forward, that we won't turn back, that we'll remember where we are and we, and the pain that we're facing right now won't be disqualified. It won't disqualify the good that's happened, but Lord, instead that you will show us that there's new life and, and life more abundant waiting for us. God, may we not get off track, but we, may we remember that this is all for you, all for you, Father. So encourage those that are listening today, for those that have felt disposable, God, show them that you don't treat people as disposable as we do so often. In a disposable generation, God, you are not one who disposes of people. So Lord, lift people's heads up today. Show them, Lord, that they are your children, that you've got good plans. And then Lord, as, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, forgive us for when we get it wrong, Lord, and, and give us the words and the empathetic spirits that you would want us to have, but also help us to call sin, sin, and not to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We love you, Jesus. We worship you. We put you in position today. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Nikki, thank you for being here with us, for sharing part of your story. You guys, I'll tag Nikki in this um, podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And so if, if she's really said something that has ministered to you, if you're in Canada, anywhere near her church, Bloom Church, I know they would love for you to come visit to. and to check out what God is doing in their church. Nikki, thank you again. And you guys be blessed. I am so grateful that you spent this time with us today and we'll see you next time.